0: Somebody, Somewhere is a production of Rainstream Media, Incorporated. This podcast investigates the unsolved death of federal prosecutor Jonathan Luna in 2003. It is a true story. But the opinions of the hosts and interviewees are simply that—opinions, not facts. And the credibility of the witnesses and what they say is to be determined by the listener. Everyone is presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law.
1: We hope you have enjoyed this third season of Somebody Somewhere. If you haven't listened to our other two seasons, we promise they will not disappoint. Season one was about the unsolved murder of another federal prosecutor, Tom Wales, in 2001. And season two explores the arrest and trial of three teenage brothers for a mass shooting at a Seattle homeless encampment in 2016. Every story Jody and I have produced has introduced us to people with compelling life stories, and this season was no exception. And the undisputed heavyweight title for most interesting backstory this year goes not surprisingly to Nako Brown. I was captivated with the choices and actions of his life. How did this man go from preacher to prisoner and back again? So for those of you with some of the same questions, I want to share more of NACO's life story. This is Bonus Episode 10, From the Prison to the Palace. I'm your host, David Payne. It's been 10 years since
2: a federal prosecutor was found dead in rural Lancaster County.
1: We will find out who did this. Was he trying
2: to stage some sort of attack and went too far? I, I, I'm a crook, you a crook, he a crook, everybody will crook. crook, you're busy. This from... Cole Brown. An inmate at a federal prison. This call is being recorded and is subject to monitoring.
3: Hello? Yeah. Hey, Nako. How are you? I'm doing great. Good morning. How y'all doing over here? Good. Good. Good to hear your voice. Sounds like you're staying positive.
1: When I first telephonically met Nako Brown in May of 2020, it was immediately clear that there was something different about this guy. You can hear it in his voice. Now, mind you, at this time, we're three months into a depressing worldwide pandemic nako has been locked up for 18 years on a 25-year sentence, and yet, he exudes positivity. And I couldn't help but wonder how he maintained that outlook under the harshest of circumstances. In fact, as our relationship progressed and the virus spread, I recoiled at the horror of his situation. And as the summer progressed, it wasn't just COVID that was putting on the squeeze. Adding insult to injury, the murder of George Floyd would cost NACO and his cellmates their one hour of freedom per day, as the government drafted prison officers to police city streets.
4: Now, when they started doing the rioting and looting, we didn't come out for that hour. I think they employed them to go out and uh, help with the rioting and the protesters. And so they bring us all three meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And so we eat in the shell. Once that was over, then they came back and we came back and we came back to um, that one hour a day. You know, you get used to it, you know? When you have lockdowns in prison, sometimes you don't come out at all. Every three days you get a shower and every three days you use to phone. So this is somewhat not, not too bad compared to the complete lockdown, you know?
3: Yeah. Well, it's amazing you keep your head up in those kind of circumstances because it would drive a lot of weaker men crazy, I'm sure. I'm sure you're around that. Right,
4: right. Once again, prayer. I do prayer and fasting. I use lots of time. I write songs, I write books, you know. Right now I'm teaching my cell. I'm moving to another cell. Actually, this guy, he was having problems, so now I'm teaching him. So the time is going back I'm pretty fast on that as well. So I'm just looking, always looking for opportunity to keep pushing forward and not allow circumstances, situations, to keep attacking.
1: Nico's ability to navigate harsh lockdowns with his insanity and positivity intact was no doubt enabled in part by the fact that he had spent most of his adult life in prison, and the armchair psychiatrist I was wanted to understand how he got there in the first place.
3: I told you I, I got your book yesterday. I've Good. started. I'm only, I'm only about 20 pages in, but the one thing I didn't know was that you had been incarcerated when you were 17 for the first time. Yes.
4: incarcerated
3: well, what were you charged with? Yes,
4: a robbery but not not an armed robbery just a
3: robbery so you were in high school or tell me what happened
4: well i was in high school once again i was six kids i was a black sheep so i was getting in trouble and needed some money so i thought i needed some money actually i didn't the did peer pressure trying to keep up with the jokes of my peers and did some robberies it went into the system and Just trying to uh, be numb over the fact that I'm in a male adult prison. And and it was really kind of hard for me. Staying alive, staying focused, staying, you know, fucking hurt and fucking harm. Something I'm not proud
3: of. It's a long time ago, and and I hope you don't mind me just asking these questions. I'm trying to get the arc of your life and understand, you know, from Preacher's Kid to black sheep of the family, to doing these robberies, getting incarcerated at 17, which is way, way too young to go into an adult prison. There is a lot of trauma in everything about what you just described.
4: There's something I want to share with you that I'm not ready to share right now, but definitely it played a major role in that criminal lifestyle.
1: At just 17 years old, Sentenced to 12 years in an adult prison, you would think life would look pretty bleak to young Nako. But like Joseph with the Technicolor Dreamcoat, Nako was determined not to let jail break him. So when he got paroled out at 25, he pursued his deferred dreams with abandon. We got
2: married. I was 29. He was 26. He's about three years different.
1: And first stop was Vanessa Minor. Nico and Vanessa would fittingly begin their courtship in church.
3: And so I'm guessing, based on the age range that you're talking about, he must have just gotten out? When we met, he had just gotten out, yes.
2: After we met and started talking, and he had come back into the church and so forth, he was really focused on fulfilling purpose at that time. He started a choir to sing, background, and so forth. He had done a couple of CD's but he was trying to do it in a different way in which a lot of people didn't understand. And so I think that kind of hurt the things that he was doing at the time.
1: At 25, fresh out of prison, Nico had met the love of his life, and he immediately set about trying to build both a home and career with her.
4: So when I got out, I wanted to really break into the music industry. And it was kind of hard for me to do that without me really knowing the system. So I started just writing my own material and producing my own material. And so after me and my wife got married, we came up with this concept called dinner concert where we rent a little hall and all the people we sold the project to, like the CD, we would sell them tickets and I would put a concert on it. And she was actually cooked. She was actually cooked, she's actually cooked, by the way. And so we did that and it worked. So I had this grand idea to get a dinner theater to do the same thing but do it on a regular basis. And my idea was to purchase a building and you know, you build it, it would come, you know.
2: And so we had started the uh, dinner theater and which was the first dinner theater in Maryland. So he was the type of person that, when he has a mission, he is going to get it done.
4: Well, my wife says, well, you're moving too fast. And she was right. And sure enough, we went and got the dinner theater.
2: And we got into a building, and we just took an empty room, pretty much, and transformed it into a um, beautiful dinner theater. But it was hard getting funding.
4: We were trying to get loans and small business programs. And we came across the same response, which was, you have to have collateral, you have to have an educational degree.
2: And so it was just pretty much a no after no after no. And it was like, we know we have a great idea here, but we just didn't have anyone that was willing to, you know, take a chance. And as I said, He's the type of person that if he starts something or if he has an idea to do something, he's going to get it done one way or another.
0: We
4: had enough to renovate the place, but we was like 24,000 in the hole. And so that's what really motivated me to rob the bank share.
1: Like small business owners all over this country, Vanessa and Nako Brown hit the proverbial wall when it came to turning their dream into reality. But unlike 99.99% of SBOs, Nako chose the worst possible solution, and it would cost him his freedom for decades.
3: All right, so I gotta push on this point, which is you had been incarcerated for like eight years since you were 17 years old. It had to have entered your mind that I don't want to go back there.
4: Exactly. Right, and no one do anything expecting to get caught. My idea, in my mind, I was gonna get away and become a success and give the money back and just anonymously just drop the money off and with a note, but that also have to be the most dumbest time (laughs) in my life to think that I could do something like that and get away. So I understand why you asked that question.
3: So why, why bank robberies?
4: Sad to say because I'm a rational person. (laughs) I'm a rational person. I'm not trying to be a drug dealer. I need money for a company. I felt that since I needed money, the bank had the money. And I rationalized that the bank was insured and nobody was going to get hurt. And as far as I was concerned, I needed money. I needed money fast to save the business. And... I got a toy gun, because I didn't know how to get hurt. And just studied it, you know, studied the bank, and made sure I uh, seen the process. And I went into the bank in the morning or late evening. And it's going to be the first one there, the last one there. I you know, got them to lock the door, so it won't be too much rushing. And just took what they call the cash cow.
3: And four separate banks, same scenario. Toy gun. Four
4: separate banks, same scenario. Now, I will say this: it became addictive. It became addictive. So, whenever I got down to twenty-five thousand dollars in my account, or the business account, I felt that I have to rob a bank.
3: In all of the four bank robberies, anybody get hurt?
4: Nobody got hurt. That's one of the reasons why we came early, locked the door so well, nobody have to be really rushing and hurt nobody.
3: Did anybody testify at trial that was in the bank and talk about the stress of that scenario or what?
4: Yeah, that was an eye-opener for me because I didn't see it that way, so I got to saw it that way, and I, was, I felt really bad for that. Right. Once again, we only see it our way when we that desperate and when we get anxious.
3: Where was the cash going? What was it going to support?
4: First of all, it was going to take care of the lease that I was back at 24000 And then I was going into furnishing the dinner, the, the stove, the tables, just the, you know, stuff like that. The kitchen is worth close to 50000 The music and the sound system clearly can be worth fifty to 75000 So it's a lot of money that's being spent.
3: And I'm probing at this because... I'm trying to understand, and I want the audience to understand, you're married with a daughter, you're trying to start a business, and you'd already been locked up previously and knew what that was. So obviously, something is driving you to put all of that at risk, knowing what the consequences of that are. Right.
4: I credit some evil forces, some selfishness, and some just selfish ambitions.
3: It's an important element to talk about this issue because I think not every man would have made the choice to go rob a bank. And so right. Nico Brown made that choice.
4: Right. It's the stress and the anxiety of losing everything. And I just couldn't walk away from it. And the anxiety of being a failure, pride was in the way as well. Everyone, you know, thinking, you're doing so well, you're doing good. And uh, you out, you're doing well. And, and I was doing well, but go just tests. And I failed the
1: test. Naco is not the first man in history to be taken down when tested by the deadly sins of pride and selfishness. And like those other men, the repercussions of his actions would careen far beyond his personal orbit.
3: I want to take you back to that 30-year-old Vanessa who got married to NACO, and then your heart had to have been broken when this all happened.
2: Definitely, because, you know, I definitely didn't expect things to turn out this way because I guess most people have a fairy tale mentality of happily ever after, you know, so I didn't expect that.
3: I'm guessing wife and mother of Jasmine was not real happy with her husband at that point.
2: Not really happy. of uh, And once again, I mean, you know, back then it was, I think, really a totally different mindset of what I have now or the fact of the wisdom that
3: I have now. You seem to have, I don't know, accepted, forgiven. I don't want to put words in your mouth. I'm trying to understand how that process happened in your life and in your marriage.
2: I can't really pinpoint it it did take a while, I mean, because there was hurt, there was embarrassment, you know, and like I said, we all make mistakes. Most people don't make them to that degree, of course not, but we all make mistakes. But I think when I began to see that he was truly beginning to operate in integrity and was doing God's will, and so I think that that was really what began to help
1: When Nako was sentenced to prison by Judge Andre Davis in 2002, something changed. Nako took all that drive he had used for the dinner theater and then robbing banks, and he redirected it towards his marriage and family.
2: After he went to prison and as he reflected, he said, my kids are gonna grow up without me. And nine times out of 10, the streets would consume them. And so he didn't want that and so I think he really decided that he needed to do it God's way. I think he submitted himself and humbled himself and decided, Lord, I will do your will and your work if you will take care of my family.
1: Nako's commitment to his wife and family seemed remarkable to me, but it was the reverse that confounded me even more.
3: I want to tell you a little bit of story, which is, as we were researching NACO's story, I keep a, a document where we put down addresses of people as we're trying to locate them. And I kept having to change your address and update it. And it took me a little while to figure out why.
2: Yeah, well, basically, each time that they would transfer him, and it wasn't within distance where, you know, we could travel comfortably, then we would end up just actually moving. We were in Maryland, and our first move was to Johnson City. Then we moved to Vermont, and then we moved to California. And after California, we moved here to Oklahoma because my son, he was actually getting ready to start his first year in college. And my daughter, she was already living here with her husband. You know, our objective was to keep our family together, one, and to, you know, visit every week if possible in order for him to spend time together as a family, but also be able to pour into our children to build them up.
1: As I heard Vanessa's story, I began to channel Judge Davis' assessment of NACO Brown. It wasn't just the bank robberies and the missing money that were remarkable. It was the perseverance of this couple that drew me in.
3: Vanessa, I don't know if you know how remarkable and rare it is what you have done and the sacrifices you've made to support your family and to support your husband in doing that. So obviously you're somebody of not only great faith in your husband, but I'm guessing great faith in someone above.
2: Oh, yes, yeah, definitely, because without God, we know we can't do anything. And we know that after getting in the situation, we know that God has a plan for our lives. And He is such a merciful God that He gives us chance after chance. So we have to trust God no matter what, you know. And we have to. Have to get
1: but even if God has a plan for our lives, parents Nako and Vanessa would need their own plan to properly raise their two children with Nako in prison. Nako, tell me how you did that logistically. Like, how would you... Well, me and my wife sat
0: down, and we decided that we was going to keep the family together. This was not going to break us, this is going to make us. And she would bring them here. She would come every weekend, especially when they were small, every weekend. And so I sat down with them individually. When they could come in the vision room, we have family time, virtual. We did our prayer together, we did our devotion together. Then I had my individual time with each of them. We went over their purpose and how they would apply their purpose. And so when it was time for them to go to school, they already know who they are. So they won't fall into peer pressure. They won't go into a crowd trying to define them and trying to fit in because they got there from home. I really believe that this is one of the major solutions for parenting. But we don't have a lot of time when it comes to parenting, but I do just on the weekend,
1: and my kids are successful. And so we came up with a schedule. Despite the fact that they were only 7 and 1 when their father went to prison and their mother moved them from town to town, the Brown children have apparently thrived.
2: We have two children together. One is 25, our oldest daughter, and our son is 19, actually. Our daughter graduated from... Or Roberts University, and she's been married for going on two years in July. Our son, he just started ORU, and so this will be his second year. He's into track, he's a very good athlete. He likes to write, actually, and he sings as well.
4: I wanted to be intentional with my kids, and giving them principles that they can go into the crowd of their peers with and not have that peer pressure but also I gave him the purpose as well. So imagine a six-year-old under these circumstances being told that she's going to be an actress. So these are the principles that you have to live by if this is going to come into fruition. When her peers say, hey, let's do this, well, I can't do that because that goes against my purpose.
1: In an age-old story, Nico's extraordinary efforts to raise his children from prison no doubt, overcompensated for what he perceived as his own father's failures, and as I was just starting my inquiry along those lines, fate intervened.
2: Come to celebrate the life and the victory of Bishop Aggie Brown. Sing. <laughs>
1: In June of 2020, NACO's father would die, and the judge would not let him out of prison for the service. So it was left to me to be his outside eyes and ears.
3: I'm going to move. I wanted to first express my condolences on your father. Thank you. I watched a large part of the service. It was quite moving. I don't know if you had a chance to listen to it or see any of it.
4: No, not yet.
3: They had the full formal ceremony for him. They had the horses and carriage out. I mean, it was really... Wow. I look forward to seeing it. Did you want to say anything about your father or...
4: I'm really just waiting to get out to really kind of grieve for the ones that Hmm. I lost since I've been in. Because, you know, I, I really don't want to release that in here. And I really want to do that around friends and family, you know?
3: Yeah, Um, understand.
4: So, so I try not to talk about. But he's a great father, and he uh, never missed a beat. Never missed a beat. You know, always there for us. Always a good example of what a father should be and what a man should be. And that's one of the things that I really wanted to give him an opportunity to see me mature and see me apply some of the principles that he was teaching
1: us. Nico Brown would never get an opportunity to show his father, a well-known Baptist bishop in Baltimore, the man he had become in prison. And for someone steeped in the reconciliation principles of the Bible, there had to be both emotional scars and
3: theological significance. Were you able to maintain a relationship with him since you've been in?
4: Yes, yes. He didn't visit much, but I called. I called and touched base with him. You know, I had some resentment resentments at first because I knew that I was missing the hands-on with him that I needed from him.
3: Did you forgive him for the things that caused that resentment? And did he forgive you for whatever he felt? Did right. you come to that peace?
4: Yes, sir. Yeah, I did. I let him know that I forgave him, and I asked him to forgive me, and he said he did. But once again, he, he came from that generation where he loves you by showing you. So I really never heard him say, you know, I love you. But he definitely demonstrated with everything he did, and provided for us, and was there for us.
1: Despite Nico's obviously complicated relationship with his father, a man who had a hard time telling his son he loved him, Nico would follow in his footsteps finding his own flock and forming his own ministry in prison.
3: How did you start your ministry? It had to first start with me.
4: I had to face some realities. And uh, once I did, I understand that these men had, had an opportunity to see the light. And one of those things was they wasn't bad. They made bad choices, but they wasn't bad people. And given an opportunity with the right tools, I think they would make them a better decision. That's why right. application is so important to me right now. Just one thing to know, it's another
1: thing to As I listened to Nako describe his journey, I couldn't help but wonder what his life would have been like if he had had these insights earlier. But I never once heard Nako or his wife Vanessa ever look at things that way. Theirs was a everything happens for a reason faith. And their life mission, which has largely been codified in Nako's writings, could not have happened without the trials and tribulations
3: they have been through. What is Divine Royalty Publishing?
2: Divine Royalty Publishing is a ministry that God gave my husband and I 26 years ago. Basically, he's written at least 15 books and They are pretty much self-help books to help people to understand who they are, to understand that they need a relationship with God and to know that that's the only way that they will ever be who God created them to be and to have a successful life and to be happy and so forth. But when you tap into the purpose that God has given you and operate and allow the Holy Spirit to help you get it done, it's like nothing can really stop it. So.
1: In February of 2021, right before we launched this season, I caught up with Nako again at his home in Oklahoma.
3: Nako, yes, sir. All right, you're there. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm yeah? Great. Tell me about what's going on with your wife and your family.
4: So, normally on Sundays we used to come together, and um, every Sunday since I've been out, we come together and. We do a Bible class, and then we take the Passover. And uh, so it's just amazing just to sit around the table with my son-in-law and uh, my wife and my kids. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we just can't believe that we're in the same room with no officers around us. (laughs) 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 Okay, that's enough. (laughs) So it's just a blessing to have that. From the prison to the palace. To the prison to the palace, you got it. You might be Joseph's generation's biggest
1: fan. (laughs) (laughs) It's good to hear Nako laugh. While he has his freedom now, there is no doubt that the road ahead is as daunting as it ever was, and he will need every ounce of his big faith to navigate it. Of course, he wouldn't be Nako if he didn't also have big dreams. He's working on a movie project based on one of his books, Divided Nation, and he remains in a hurry.
4: We got a chance to celebrate, celebrate our love, and celebrate our marriage. And then it was, it was time to get to work. So, revamping the website and getting in contact with my editor and the graphic artists, and just touching base with, with the people who have helped me down through the
3: years, I have a multi million dollar idea. But you know how it is. You need money to do that. So as you know, I've set up a uh, GoFundMe page for you. And I wonder if you can articulate what will you use that money for? Well, I want really to really
4: focus on helping guys that is incarcerated. We want to reach back but we also want to be a success out here too. We want to contribute to the community and bring the solution as we know it to the problem. And so that takes resources
3: as well. And what about for you personally, what should come through from the telling of your story? Well, you know, I know what it means
4: to have a dream, have an American dream, you know, and I'm quite sure there's a lot of people particularly right now, today, when you see so many small businesses closing and people losing their jobs because of the COVID-19 and the crisis that we have today. So I I can identify with wanting something so bad and just wanting to live the American dream, want to be successful, but do it the wrong way. I know what it means to go into a bank and, and come out with hundreds of thousands of dollars. I mean, the classic bank robber, movie, but that money didn't solve my problems. So, you know, if I could give the message of, wow, you may lose the house, you may lose the business, you may lose uh, the car, but you got your freedom. Don't jeopardize your freedom. You got relationships, you got people who still believe in you, cherish those relationships, just stay in the game. So now I'm released and now I'm on this world of, more than the redemption, but recovery and restoration And I got to do it the right way now. I'm going to do it the right way. And when I think I'm not moving fast enough, I remember this. I am free. I'm free. I'm free.
1: Hey, Somebody Somewhere listeners, thanks again for listening. Please take a moment to spread the word and help us get discovered. If you also found yourself touched by NACO's story, and want to help him continue his ministry outside of prison, I've set up a GoFundMe page where you can contribute directly to his efforts. Just search for the NACO Brown campaign on GoFundMe.com to help him have that second chance. That's N-A-C-O-E Brown. You can also contact him via his website, www.josephg.org. There goes the devil telling me to lie again. But since I'm around me,
0: says it's all right to pretend. That you can get more than you give.
1: Somebody Somewhere is a production of Rainstream Media Incorporated. Sound design, editing, and mixing has been provided by Resonate Recordings. Original score and voiceover work provided by Hallie Payne. Artwork provided by Evan McGlynn and Kendall Payne. If you have any information regarding the Jonathan Luna case, please contact us via our website, sbswpodcast.com. And finally, if you enjoyed this podcast please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps, and we really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. Dear God, I hate to say
0: I'm sorry, but I just want you to love people though. more money